Good morning, church. Uh, this morning, we continue our study uh, in Hebrews to discover a key ingredient to enduring faith, delighting in the Lord's discipline. Our loving Father redeems our suffering and struggle to sanctify us that we may look and live more like Jesus. God's grace gives us a new paradigm through which to see the frustrations of life as fertilizer for fruitful faith as we endure in the race God has marked out for us. Please join me in reading Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not Regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we, not much, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Good morning, everybody. I add my greetings to those you have already heard. It is a joy uh, to worship together in the house of the Lord. I add that celebration to what Carrie noted earlier. If you've got a Bible, please keep it open, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be unpacking these verses, and if you have a normal reaction, you're probably like, oh good, today we're talking about discipline. This is going to be fun, right? Uh, well, we're going to continue to unpack uh, Hebrews 12. And I'm excited about it, but I got to confess, I'm a little nervous. Uh, what we're going to discuss today is by no means a comprehensive uh, uh, teaching on what the Bible has to say about your struggles and your suffering, our pain and our problems. But what this passage does offer us is a new perspective, a new perspective that is from our loving Heavenly Father. And the author of Hebrews has been serving up something better all throughout. And the goal is to give Christians hope during hard times. Christians who are experiencing problems, who are being persecuted, uh, and even being imprisoned, uh, says chapter 10, and plundered by other people. I mean, these folks had some real issues but to empower and encourage endurance of their faith so that they would not turn back 
to things that they've coped with in the past or self-righteous religious ways that they knew uh, in their recent history, but that they would continue on the race that God had planned out for them, keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. That is the point of this passage. So please, friends, uh, this is not intended to be a simple black and white explanation of all the struggles of our world. We begin by acknowledging there is sin in our fallen world. There are tragedies in our fallen world. And some suffering and loss cannot be understood because it doesn't make sense in God's created design. He created things as good. But life is not always good. But in God's graciousness, he offers the perspective of the Heavenly Father to help us see a new paradigm that somehow there's promise and power in our pain and our problems. It's a whole new way of looking at life. And I, and I want to encourage you to do so um, we discussed this uh, in our deep dive Sunday school class, and we did not even get to the point of the deep dive. All right, I'm just gonna. I, there, I, I just want to want you to get this. I cannot explain why children have to go to the NICU. I can't explain why there's funerals for loved ones for people who are whose son has set before the day is over. Young, I can't explain. This isn't intended to explain the depth of loneliness that people feel. The unmet expectations in life not working out how we thought. The, the sense of severe struggle and wrestling match we have with uh, the brokenness of our lives. I can't do it. But all of those examples are ones that were represented in our class. And to come to this higher level, uh, biblically speaking, somehow... Wisdom compels us with Job, who lost his kids, who lost his security, his standing in society, his physical strength. He was covered with boils, living in unmentionable suffering. Somehow, in Job chapter 5, he had this perspective where he said, Blessed is the one who receives the discipline of the Lord. It's a completely new perspective, not intending to be a comprehensive and exhaustive discussion on your suffering, your struggles, your pain, your problems. God is immensely concerned with you knowing him deeper as a loving Heavenly Father. Job may seem distant. My friend, Pastor Delphus, is a little closer to home. One of our ministry partners, Pastor Octavius Delphus, and I've always felt that that is a real powerful name. Uh, I wish, uh, I'm, I am Mitchell Moore. I'm Octavius. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> he is uh, the planting pastor in, uh, in our church partner, the Reformed Presbyterian Church down in Haiti. He came here to speak a few years ago. Some of you all heard Pastor, pastor Octavius. And he explained uh, what it was like to raise a family under an intensely corrupt government where daily they wrestled 
with gangs. Gangs that put their life in danger, that put in question their sustainability, their food supply. He talked about explicitly what it was like to survive an earthquake in a country that's developing and then have to continue to care for people, care for his family and build the church in the midst of rubble because all the buildings just collapsed, in the midst of death where he could smell it and just ruins of a city. And you know what he said as he explained that? He quoted a biblical perspective from Psalm 119.75. Pastor Delphus emphasized, I know that it is in faithfulness that God has afflicted me. That is a direct quote from scripture. That somehow there's this biblical perspective where there's power and promise and purpose and proven character in our struggles, our suffering, our pain and our problems. And that's just to set the stage for what we're going to dig into today. And we can't do it without the Lord's Spirit guiding us. So would you please join me in praying and asking that the Spirit of the Lord, of the Word, would teach us the Word of the Lord in this moment? Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your fatherly care. And I just am completely inadequate to communicate your love for your people and to untangle the knot from the pain and the problems and the suffering and struggles of our lives. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We humble ourselves before you and pray. Have mercy. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's look at the first part of this passage. Uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, the author says, Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood? As we seek to have hope in our hard times and really empowered endurance, the author first and foremost compels us to consider Christ. You know, Christianity is the only religion in the world that offers a perspective on the real problems of our world. It is the only one that offers us strength and a solution. And that's through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a, a God made flesh, and he experienced some of the greatest injustice possible, the corruption of a government in a courtroom, the abandonment of friends, the total rejection of God. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured as a criminal, died on a cross for a crime he did not commit. So that by his wounds, people who trust in him can be healed. By his death, people who put their faith in him can have life. By his being beat, we can find healing and hope. By his rejection, we can find acceptance. He 
in his death and resurrection give us a simple paradigm through which we understand that our suffering, our problems, and our pain are not the end of the story, that yes, God can use it. And he will, even when we don't understand it. And we don't. Consider Jesus who endured these hardships and the life that came from it. Consider Jesus. But not only that, consider Jesus in the sense of the suffering that he had. Jesus actually sweated blood in his anxiety. In the garden, when he wanted uh, to have the cup taken from him, the, the total pain that was coming in the cross, he was asking the Father to take it from him to such, with such passion that he was literally sweating blood. I love the author's like, have some perspective. I know your life is hard. I know you've been through a lot, but has your anxiety been so great that you've actually sweated blood? Probably not. But it was for Jesus. Jesus had that level of anxiety so that you can have the level of security he offers in this, the Father's love. You see, the whole point of Jesus being rejected on the cross by the Father, the Father turning his face away, the whole point was so that the Father could welcome and love you as his son. And you say, well, that's good. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy. I want to be, be a son of God. I want to be a child of God. I want to be a daughter of God. That's what I want to live for. Everything's fine. That's a destination, right? Everything's peaceful. No, no. I, I hate to tell you that, uh, that the prosperity theology that our culture and our country celebrate and share that somehow that if you can become a child of God, uh, that you're going to be healthy and all your finances are going to work out. You're going to, you're going to be able to live in the zip code that you want to live in. And, and you're going to be famous and popular. That's a lie. Do you know, let me, let me flip it this way. If I were to ask you the one thing Paul said he taught in every church and in every place, how, what would you answer? Most of you would say, oh, he taught grace alone by faith alone. I'm sure he did. Oh, he taught everywhere he went about the love of God. I'm sure he did. But do you know there's only one thing that Paul says in the Bible that he taught everywhere and in every church? You know what that was? Let's read it real quick. It's in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. Just listen. Paul says, we're fools for Christ's sake. We're weak, but you're strong. We're held in disrepute to this present hour. Verse 11, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, when we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuge of all things. Just, just a little bit here. I think Paul should have gone to some sort of like how to uh, win friends and influence people class. Because it's like, brother, man, that is tough. That's tough life. And he had all that life because he was following Jesus. But let's prove the point. Jump down to verse uh, 16. Paul says this. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, listen, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. You see, the pain and the problems of our life, the suffering and the struggling of our world, it's normal for followers of Jesus. And God wants to offer you a powerful new perspective so that you can find power and promise, even in your pain. Uh, one of my favorite parts of my job is that I, or my calling, is that I get to walk with younger folks. And you might have noticed our church is really bursting with a lot of young passion, energy, young adults, young families, and it is exciting. But I also get to do that outside of our congregation. I just by God's grace, I, I'm connected uh, in our city with some fun stuff. And this week, I was reminded of the power of this perspective with one young dad who was telling me, he's like, oh man, I really blew it. What's going on? Well, I've got, he's got two, I've got a couple of kids. And he says, uh, man, my kids have just been out of control. They have just been acting like they are on the sugar Halloween candy high, like all the time. And they haven't been listening. They haven't been doing what I've asked. And I lost it on them. I just lost it and tried to gain control with my anger. I tried to gain control with my voice and they went into tears. And he was telling me about it, he felt so bad. And my first thought was like, well, that never happens at our church. <laughs> You're not welcome at First Pres because our parenting is perfect. I can't identify with that at all. No, we all can. We all can. That was a joke for our guests, all right. <laughs> And I said to him, with this passage in mind, I said, brother, what's God teaching you? He looked down. He looked up. He said, you know, I realized that I, in considering Christ, I am secure enough that I'm forgiven. He said, I need to apologize to my kids. And I need to ask for their forgiveness and understanding that as a dad, I need grace too. And I need to be more dependent on the Lord. And he went back, apologized to his kids. And, and I saw before my eyes, someone who saw the struggling, the pain and the problems of their life is an opportunity to consider Jesus and for what God was teaching them inside. Consider the position that they had in Christ, a child of God, secure enough to ask for forgiveness, even from our kids. That's powerful perspective on pain and problems. And I tell you, if we can adopt that in the simple place as parenting, it'll transform everything. But that's not where the author stops. He doesn't just say, well, my microphone is like a floppy fish on my face. I'm sorry. It really is, man. It's like, get back in the water. He doesn't just tell us to consider Christ. He also tells us to ponder our position. Look at how verse five begins. Look at this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, as children? This, my friends, is a total paradigm shift. That maybe, just maybe, God has a reason for our suffering. 
that just maybe this word that he uses again and again in this passage, this word discipline that appears in verse 5, 7, 8, and 11, four times in these brief verses, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And that word discipline, paideia in Greek, it just simply means to train. To train a child to develop intentionally the character of the child. To develop intentionally the purposes, the the person that they need to be for the purposes that God has for them. The paideia, it's where we get the word pedagogy. Do not regard lightly the discipline, the training of your heavenly father. He goes on to say it's so intense that that maybe if you don't have any pain and problems in your life, if you don't have more questions than answers, if you don't have more struggle than you have strength, then maybe you're not a child. Maybe you aren't a child of God and you need to examine that. But when we come to a place where we're secure in being a child of God, then those pains, those problems can actually, rather than be a rejection of God of you, it can be a highlight of his acceptance of you, a sign of his love. Well, you say, Mitchell, oftentimes when I'm going through pain and problems, I feel like God is mad at me. He's angry at me and he's punishing me for my sin. Do you want to know what I tell you in response to that? You want to know it? Can I be direct? You're believing a lie. You know how I know that God's not punishing you for your sin? You know how I know it without a shadow of a doubt? Because Jesus took all the punishment for our sin that sin deserves. And if you, you don't have to argue with me. You can argue with Isaiah 53. He carried all of our iniquities. He was crushed by our sin so that you can be built up and born again. You can argue with the Apostle John, who in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, describes the work of Christ as a propitiation. The anger and wrath of God against sin is satisfied on the cross. You don't have to argue with me. You can argue with Peter, who in 1 Peter says that Jesus bore all of our sin on the tree. You can argue with the Apostle Paul, who says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. Jesus literally paid it all. The punishment of sin is paid for on the cross. Do you hear that? That's Jesus calling. (laughs) That's his grace saying to you, You're totally forgiven. There's no condemnation in Christ. The pain, the problems, the discipline of our Lord, it is not punitive. It is restorative. God wants to make you more into his image. God wants to create in you proven character. God wants your trials and your troubles to have a trajectory. That is, internally, you have the character of God, and externally, you're participating in the works of God. God is training us 
for his service. You believe that? I have a hard time believing it. Do you mind if I get vulnerable with you for a minute? I'm going to, whether no one gave me permission. I'm going to anyway. <laughs> You're going to have to get over it. Five years ago, in this past week, it was the anniversary of my father passing away. And it was the most inconvenient time for a death possible. It was inconvenient because I never had closure with him. I was in Indonesia when he passed. And thankfully, in the past five years, God's given me a deep sense of gratitude for him. In many of the difficulties and dysfunctions that we had, I felt that the spirit and the work of God has redeemed those. But I never had closure with him. And my aunt decided that it was better to have the funeral sooner than later. And so the funeral was actually scheduled during the last week we were supposed to be in Indonesia when all the celebrations and all this stuff was going to happen. So I never had closure there either. And I went to the funeral and I came back. We had two days left. And then we came back to the United States. And within two weeks, I had been diagnosed with cancer. I had had surgery. I had had chemotherapy. And I started chemotherapy. And that went on for the first several months of us being back in the United States. In October of that year, a friend of mine, Josh, a groomsman in my wedding, uh, passed away suddenly. I never got to say goodbye to him. Actually, the last time I saw Josh was at my dad's funeral. And I, man, it was tough. And then I got diagnosed with this other bile duct disease. And I tell you all of that because I can meet you where you are with your questions. And I want to tell you about my friend Farouk. Farouk is a pastor from Iraq. And he was in town. And, you know, as the missions pastor, we have missionaries that come in. And uh, nine times out of ten, they're like super nice to you because they're raising money, right? And, and so yeah, I feel really good usually when we have ministry partners in town. It's a lot of fun. We love them. We're grateful. But Farouk decided to love me in truth. And I'll never forget, I was sitting with him in the sanctuary and we were talking about stuff. And I told him everything I just told you. And you know what he said to me? He said, Pastor Mitchell, what is God trying to teach you? I said, I, I said well, I think after a reaction like that, maybe he's teaching me to not have friends like you, brother. <laughs> How about a little compassion, right? No, he, went, he went to this passage. He goes, what is God trying to teach you? He says, you know you have a loving heavenly father who wants you to bear kingdom fruit and your struggle is soil for that fruit to grow from his discipline. And the whole conversation turned into how God is teaching me and training me. And he's not done with me yet. He's not done with you yet but it's a complete paradigm shift. It doesn't explain all of our problems. It doesn't exhaustively communicate God's motive and reasons for everything he allows, but it gives us a powerful new perspective, a paradigm shift of our loving heavenly father and his love for us that is so great that he doesn't want us to leave us where he is. And that's the, the final point in verse 11. It goes to verse 13. We stopped in 11. 
that not only do we need to consider Jesus and ponder our position as children, but we've got to feast on the fruit. God's super clear in his motives here. Verse 11, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That, I read that passage and, and I'm like, yeah, no kidding. But later, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. The point is that God is bearing fruit in your life and the life of those you love. It's the same message that goes all through Scripture, and we're most familiar with it from John 15, that we abide in Christ, and when we abide in Him to bear fruit, and when we're not bearing fruit, the Father, who is the gardener, he prunes us. That's what John 15 says. Romans 3, verses 1 to 5, teaches that it is the, we can rejoice in our sufferings. We can rejoice in our struggle because God is working in us proven character. That's what it says, the Apostle Paul. Examine your trials, examine your troubles, and ask, what is God teaching you? What idols is he revealing? What dependencies that are unhealthy or ways of coping sins do you have the privilege of identifying? How can you see your trials as treasure? Finding power and promise, and even God's purposes for your pain and your problems. What is God teaching you about himself? What is God training you, recreating you in, to be more like him? How is God shaping you and sharpening you for the trajectory of his work through you. Children of God delight in the discipline of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that somehow you move us from a place of pain to a place of pleasantness with the right perspective on our position in you as children. We thank you that you are cultivating a fruitful harvest of peace and righteousness by those that have been trained by your discipline. Lord, I pray that we would have faith to see the frustrations in our life as fertilizer for fruitfulness and that we trust you as a loving Heavenly Father. And Lord, for me, your child, one who is still in process, who is still being trained, I ask that you would remember mercy and that you would mold me and that you would do what you need to do in me so that you can do what you want to do through me. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.